All right, this is a podcast for the good people of St. Francis County. And in that spirit, we have a local St. Francis County entrepreneur, entrepreneur, Vincent Howard. Um, Vince, how long have you lived in St. Francis County? I've lived here about 15 years. 15. Cool. Um, so right before we went on, we were talking about what, what topics we wanted to touch on and what topics we didn't want to touch on. And we kind of started a really intriguing conversation that we both obviously have different different philosophies, probably some generational stuff there as well. And and you made a really good point about sort of the shifting, the merging of a business's, uh, what, what would you call that? Well, the separation of our personal and our professional lives. Yes. Especially through social media. Yeah. Millennials and Gen Z don't understand that concept. And so this is foreign territory for me. So so walk me through how you think about that. Well, I think with the advent of social media, the instantaneous audience you form, uh, whether it's through your personal Facebook page or through your corporate Instagram, uh, I think there becomes a situation that has evolved where you can't, you have to separate your personal and professional life. Uh, how I feel, what my thoughts are uh, on a variety of subjects. Uh, I don't post publicly mm. on my Facebook page. On your personal page or obviously the, the store page. Right. I, I do know. Aesop's Treasury. Did I, well, I didn't really introduce that. I don't that think very you well. did. Aesop's Treasury. Aesop's Treasury. Come on down. <laughs> Open seven days a week, nine to nine. <laughs> nine to nine. Yeah, yeah, it's the best hours. hours of any place in Farmington by far. There you go. Um, but what I think you're looking at is our personal feelings uh, as a professional in a retail or forward-facing customer service type business uh, your customers are going to be from a wide variety of backgrounds mm, absolutely. Uh, you're casting a wide net mm. you want everyone to come in you want that inclusivity uh, that everyone will feel welcome in your business mm. Because you offer that inclusivity, because you're a, a friendly face, a smile, and, a, and, and an open ear, uh, it's almost that bartender situation where people are right. happy to talk to you. They feel comfortable enough to tell you about how their day is going and what they think. Right. Um, and the bartender is supposed to give just enough, just enough of firmness to, to keep the conversation going, but never too much to impose anything on a customer. Sure. Like the kind of archetypal bartender mo. Right. But when we take that to the extent that as a business owner, your customers feel comfortable telling mm. you their personal opinions. Yeah. That's not really a two-way street because you have customers that you don't agree with their opinions, uh, that you don't want that to affect your business. Mm. You're there for everyone. Yeah. And so I feel having grown up with computer technology and the advent of social media and watching it mature, yeah. that yeah. people who grew up pre-Facebook, pre-MySpace, that you don't want to, as a business owner, put up your personal, political, religious yeah. feelings about anything because you are going to alienate somebody. Yeah. I mean, that's just 
the reality of today. No matter what you have to say, somebody is going to disagree and be upset with you. Right. I know having a circle of friends, those are the people you talk to, but going on to social media, you're you're casting your voice out to literally millions of people, people you've never met before. Oh, for sure. And so Russians as a <laughs> Sure. <laughs> That's it, who you're talking about, right? The people aliens on the dark side <laughs> of the moon. Who, right, right. Who, you know, they're are, monitoring are, us. Yes, our our alien pretty overlords. closely. And I don't want our alien overlords to know what I think. It's, it's not their business. They can probably probe your brain if they really want to. If but. They wanted to. <laughs> but well, so it's interesting because I sort of grew up. My sort of, I mean, I was hitting puberty as 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 Facebook was becoming a thing. So you know. Uh, dating, socializing, going out, uh, and then and then sort of in the app once that was sort of established as something that uh, you know starts on that social media becomes the, the primary driver, the fuel for your social life is sort of who you're connected to and and blah 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 because not everybody's on a university campus all the time, but you know Facebook was the first to create the digital imprint, uh, the virtual imprint of the of the quad. Um, so it's it's interesting. Um, my philosophy, well, f- is stay away from touchy top topics on a corporate page, uh, unless that's part of your particular. Un- unless you're in an area where that works really well for you to go ahead and, and cut in, and you're willing to sort of give the brand over to some certain ideology or something, which gets really scary because, as you can see, so for instance, if I built the whole brand on on Trump right now. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd be having a tough time sort of explaining the events of the last week, which I think probably a lot of folks in America are sort of potentially scratching their heads and saying, huh, should we have gone all in on kind of a, the uh, the 2016 to 2020 moment um, instead of saying, hey, we're, we're cool with customers because you, you extrapolate things out and see where they go. Um, I, my philosophy has been, uh, I, I sort of excuse my own uh, unfiltered edginess under the guise of I'm open to all opinions. I have friends who are cops, so I can talk about policing. I have a, a brother who's a, who's a judge, so I can sort of talk about in you know some experience in, in the legal community and, and so I can sort of touch on some of that stuff because I'm open to it because I because I obviously grasp both sides. but I sort of have run into a few things where I get really scared of. I don't really get really scared because I would stop doing it if I was really scared. But I, there is that sense of alienation uh, that you give, except that I have this hyper idealistic idea of the coffee shop as the place where your controversial opinions are welcomed sort of thing. So, I mean, we'll have. But but at the same time, I say that and that's then I'll an just open, roll. That's what an open mic is for. That's Face to face, right, right, right. No, literally knowing your audience, and I think you're that, saying frame that frame that moment a little clearer. Right. Let's 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 talk about that for a yeah. second, and it, because it feeds into what I'm talking about mm. about social media. <clears throat> you're a coffee shop. Immediately for myself, different generation. I picture bongo night. I picture yeah. open mic night. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. <laughs> so, yes, you should be a, a meeting spot for different opinions but everyone in the room is who you're speaking to yes yes my issue as a small business owner is that many of my customers will then send me friend requests 
yeah. to my personal page. Right, right. And I've made quite a number of friends through my business. Yes. And I certainly don't mind doing that. Yeah. But it does make me leery about me, posting Me, my, for instance. Making my own uh, uh, passing judgment, whether it's political or non-political, in the open space of social media, because I don't know who their friends are. Right. So we've gone from an intimate gathering, say, at your coffee shop of 40 or 50 individuals who are here, and you, you want to have that conversation. But going online and broadcasting, broadcasting yeah. whatever it is you're going to say, isn't just going to your 100 or 200 or 400 friends. It's going to each of their 200 or 400 friends, and suddenly you've reached people that perhaps aren't as open-minded about what you have to say as your friends are. Mm. Now you've created a situation you're not even aware of. Suddenly you've got customers who aren't coming in anymore. You don't know why. Yeah. Because maybe they, they took it. attacked and isolated. Exactly. They felt like you were pointing a finger at them. Yeah. Because you and they didn't agree. I'm not interested in that. Yeah. That's, there's, there's still, I think, and that's a whole other subject of using social media and, and privacy. Um, but as far as, as a small business, I think there is a, um, there's no longer a wall between your professional business as a small business owner yeah. and your private social media yeah. because it's no longer private. Yeah, it's interesting, and so what I'm wondering if if that touches on is sort of the uh, the the extent to which millennials and Gen Zers attach their identity to their digital uh, whatever their, their digital presence, like and and I think that potentially um, generations that watch this thing develop more from its infancy, less I. I always said I, I was, you know, one of the earliest on Facebook. I had to get invited on there by somebody who was at a university or what, however the rules worked back then. So I always felt like, oh, we really created this. But but really it was sort of created around us and and you saw it a little more clearly kind of come into its own. I have uh, I've tried as as much as I can to create sort of a because because of the things I tweet about uh, or talk about. Um, it does create interest. I mean, uh, my, my approach to uh, drug legalization and, and whatnot creates some interest potentially. I mean, when you're in a prohibition state, it creates interest for law enforcement entities. And, and I've been told that, you know, local law enforcement entities have scratched their heads from time to time at my different posts, which is to me, it's, it's sort of, I go crazy because I think this is a parody of myself. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm aware that this is a parody, but but when so many folks around you are not in on the parody or or they're using it well, and it's not a parody to them, it's just can. them. It's just them sharing family pictures and whatever. Sure. They can't really grasp how my approach might be different from that. Well, this is, again, the situation where your friends of friends of friends mm. who are not directly involved and, and know the subtleties of the personalities and sure yeah. that's where we end up with misunderstanding that's where mm. we have hard feelings that's where suddenly uh, we're forming opinions of ourselves in other people's minds that we did not wish to do mm. um, but when we talk about gen x gen zers <clears throat> my daughter growing up a perfect example of how social media and privacy have been blurred have, have sort of been erased she was growing up as a teenager. 
she would date and she would get upset. She'd be on the phone saying, oh, my boyfriend told me he was going to bed, but then I saw that he was mm. on Slack. Yeah. He was, they were tracking each other as yeah. teenagers, tracking each other's movements. And there was didn't seem to be any way to, for me to explain to her that when I was 15 and 16, mm-hmm. if I just wanted to watch a movie right. and have me time, right. it was not a slight against my girlfriend. It wasn't that I didn't love her, didn't want to be with her. Right. You just said, oh, mom won't let me use the phone tonight. Yeah. Uh, I have homework to do. Yeah. And you sat around and you watched TV. Yeah, yeah. You sort of hide behind the, the communicative uh, limitations of the time. Right. Now they track each other. Yeah. So there is no sense. Yeah, there's no. And that that was a weird moment in social media where, uh, because I remember it was super controversial when Facebook allowed other people to see what you liked. And it was like, whoa, what I liked. (laughs) I mean, it's fine if the page knows that I like it, but that shouldn't that shouldn't be on my feed. That shouldn't be shared with people. And then suddenly everybody became aware of like, oh, my gosh, this guy's liking all these these crazy conspiracy posts. What did you say about conspiracy theorists before we went on air? I, it's like it's like being, I, a lady had said to me, she's a little bit of a conspiracy theorist. Oh, yeah, being a little bit of a conspiracy theorist <laughs> is like being partially pregnant. <laughs> I love that. I love that, even though I do fancy myself a little bit of a conspiracy theorist. But uh, nonetheless, All or nothing, All or nothing. <laughs> I need to make the choice. I need to just jump in with both Either feet, wear the man. tinfoil hat or don't. You're just going to have to make up your mind. I'm going to have to put on a tinfoil hat or a heat blanket because we had to turn off the heat for the sound quality and it's increasingly it's going to get colder and colder as we go so the topics are just going to change to uh global warming, global how, we warming need it. how we want it <laughs> we want to usher that age in let's bring go. it to us that might score us some points with uh with local uh political affiliations but uh st francis county is a, a really interesting area to be in business so how long were you here before you said oh, i think it'd be fun to start a business in this town and, and what kind of led you to that space oh we just jumped right jumped back right back in yeah i mean are we done with it i don't know is there I, anything I, more you want to revisit no, I, on I think we're, we're good on social media and, i really like the while we sit here on a podcast discussing <laughs> oversharing on a podcast yeah i'm sure my daughter will contact me after this. <laughs> we can edit it out just tell me <laughs> no uh I've always wanted to open. Oh, come on. <laughs> Vince, was that you? I think that Jeez, was the daughter. man. <laughs> so, Do you want a yo-yo or something? Because you can't be touching the table. Oh. You're, you're, I, there's I a microphone know. attached to the computer. It's fine. I, I don't mean to chide you. Oh, no worries. <laughs> so, no, I always wanted to open a bookstore. Mm. And uh, I've always wanted to open a game stop. It was really uh, sort of a dual end game. Uh, and my wife and I looked at opening a game shop in a bookstore <clears throat> about 10 years ago. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. Actually, at this point, now that we've been open for three years, 13 years ago. Wow. Uh, so it's 10 years was, before you even, yeah. Oh, yeah. She of... was, our daughter was eight years old. Yeah. And I knew that for a business to be successful, we were going to have to be open seven days a week. Yeah. We were going to have to be open when customers needed to come in, which was going to be 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. Yeah. And I wasn't willing to do that to a nine-year-old. Yeah. You know, she yeah. needed weekends to go do yeah. things. And, Evenings and, and, and dinner yeah, and, yeah. A, a real life yeah. outside of living in the back of a game store. Yeah. So we put those ideas on hold. 
I, I like I that is I said at the beginning when when you said nine to nine I said that really is the best hours in Farmington and I, and I mean for local independent businesses that really have a lot of latitude it seems like it seems like there's an openness oh we just want to support we'll go when you're open you know but what you find is if you're the boutique that closes at 5 p.m. every day which is I've a never, common thing never understood that or being it's a closed common on the thing. weekends uh, I, I understand. Uh, and here we are talking about social media personal opinions yes. versus our professional opinions. But I understand that it is traditional to be either closed on Sunday or have reduced hours on Sunday and to each their own yeah. is how I feel about that. Yeah. But if you're in a business that you want customers to be able to come and see you, and you're going to be closed by 5 p.m. Monday through Friday, then it, I feel it would behoove you to be open on the weekends. Right. Even if on a Sunday it was noon to 5, a few hours. I, I feel you're, you're missing your customer base of people who work for a living who can afford to come to your exactly, store. Yeah, yeah. If you're closed on Sundays, you're closed on Mondays, you're only open 9 to 5, Tuesday, Wednesday, but then your hours are 11 to 6 on Thursday yeah, and Friday, yeah, and yeah. then they're 1 to 8 on Saturday. Yeah. It's For not, me, it was consistency. Right. It's Boutiques are not, it's not like the entertainment game where it's, hey, you get people want to go to the bar on Friday. They, that's conceivable, you know, that you're a, you're a spot that's open a few nights a week or cause people aren't going out necessarily. Yeah. On a Monday well, night right to, to party for sure, not going at all, all right now. Uh, I was going to say my my grandma uh, talks about, um, and she's a she was a good church going. You know, she she signed the Billy Graham card that said she wasn't going to drink uh, when she was in the you know in the fifties or whatever, and just never touched alcohol the rest of her life at a Billy Graham crusade. But she always talks about I voted in in. My my childhood was marked by trips to every mall in St. Louis with with that grandma and and rest of my family and whatnot. But she always said she remembers when, when there was a vote for businesses, uh, whether retail could be open on Sundays. Blue and, and, and at some point she said, I don't know what year that would have been, but she always said, she always, she always excused herself by saying, I voted against it, but I'm going to go on Sunday if it's open. <laughs> and she goes, every, I mean, they've got a whole routine, you know, and, sure. and they did for, for many, many years. But I always thought that was, was really funny. The consumer sort of like voting against their actual desire out of a sense of uh, r- religious loyalty or something. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, uh, I, I think the, the weekends are interesting. The coffee shop, um, we are probably, I mean, I, uh, I think we're one of the only coffee shops if i'm thinking about it that you know from the day we started we've been seven days a week and it used to be we would close at six then we started doing pizza so we're open till eight most nights then the pandemic hit and we took mondays we closed at two on mondays now which is a little bit confusing and it's really frustrating because i live here and so sometimes it's uh, I'm walking People around your back door and they're, they're three o'clock yeah afternoon. on new year's One, day who, who would that have been i have no idea <laughs> <laughs> I see I see a truck pulling up and back. I'm like, who is this? You just got a new truck, and I still don't recognize it. So I'm like, who in the hell is pulling up in this truck? What are they doing? They're zipping in here like this is their routine. And I look out, and it's you getting out. I'm like, oh my gosh. So that was, so it was funny because I, I looked the other day, and uh, 
our sales were like, uh, you know, six, 60,000% up the other day because I sold one latte that day to you. It was like the week before we had a $4.38 uh, day on New Year's Day. But um, yeah, it was. I'm was, keeping you in business. Yeah, right? man. Absolutely. And, and we're, we're grateful to you for that. So, all right, let's get back to the bookshop. Um, so, what talk about your, like, uh, uh, your your uh, favorite you know bookshops from childhood or your experience with oh. with that kind of because you sort of I'm, saw the death of of the boutique bookshop and eh, not the yeah, death yes but you know no. growing up in the eighties there were a number of uh, chain bookstores I don't know if you're familiar with Little Professor I worked at a Borders before they so, went bankrupt yeah. yeah there were tons of bookstores that would open in strip malls they weren't used bookstores there's a different vibe from a used bookstore right. than from a bookstore um, but used bookstores have always been mom and pop organizations um, so you knew the owner the owner knew the stock they, it was a there's an atmosphere to a bookstore, especially a used bookstore, that I think appeals to a certain demographic graphic of people like yeah. myself who grew up with yeah kind of treasure treasure seekers yeah, yeah yeah you you were waiting for lightning to strike mm. you were waiting to find your next favorite author yeah uh, and to a smaller extent you do the same thing in a new bookstore, Barnes and Noble right but because of the price of new books you are less likely to drop thirty bucks. Yeah. To hopefully like the author you just picked up off the shelf. I, I, for myself, will go to a new bookstore looking for authors I already know I love. Right. I go to a used bookstore to find the next author I'm going to love. Yeah. Because for two, three, four dollars, you'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll kiss three bucks goodbye, as right. I used to say. Yeah. So, and I think every town should have a used bookstore. Mm. Um, and we didn't have one. Oh, when I moved here 15 years ago, there was a used bookstore uh, next to Smokes for Less up off of Karsh. No kidding. It's where the it... insurance company is okay. now. It's a single wide trailer. Man, I but never walked in there. When, well, when I moved to town, <clears throat> first thing I looked for is a used bookstore. I went over there and rattled the doors, and yeah. they were locked. And what I found out from a customer yeah. many, many years later, of right. course, is that the woman who owned that used bookstore lived in St. Louis and had some health issues around uh, that time. Yeah. So she was technically closed yeah. by that point. So we hadn't had a used bookstore in Farmington since 2005, 2006. Wow. It's been a while. Um, and Farmington's a big market, I mean, for this area. We're well, it's the county seat. It's the largest seat. town in, what, a... A pretty 40, wide, forty mile radius. Yeah. I don't think there's anything larger than Farmington. We, uh, Festus is even smaller than us, I think. Even though you true, and that would put you out almost fifty five miles. Yeah. So, yeah, I thought it was a, a town that needed a used bookstore. Festus has a good used bookstore. They do, and I will throw out a, a shout out to Books Galore. Yeah. Uh, run by John and his wife. Cool. Uh, they've been. There, I talked to I him think, almost twenty eight years, I think. Wow. Almost, yeah, at least 20 years. Yeah. Uh, they've moved around a couple of times, but they've got a wonderful location. They are, uh, if you're wondering if people will go to a used bookstore instead of the library, they are across the street from really? the Festus Library, and they're what a used bookstore should be. Yeah. Um, statistically, a used bookstore should have 60 to 80,000, sometimes more titles. Wow. 
I probably have between eighteen and twenty thousand. Uh-huh. He has eighty thousand. Yeah. Uh, he's he is what I would aspire to uh-huh. if I were going to eject totally yeah. games from my right. inventory and just be a used bookstore. Yeah. I would be like books galore. That yeah. would be amazing. So your concept is actually on that note, uh, pretty unique. Do you, are you aware I, of a lot of used bookstore game shops? I've seen them before. Yeah. Um, I think it's a hard, uh, you know, they say one cannot serve two masters. Mm. And I tell my customers, the used books and the games are two separate businesses. Uh, but I find in this area, I require both. I, I think as a retail operation, my business probably wouldn't be as successful if I were just strictly a game store. Yeah. And I wouldn't be successful if I had been strictly a used bookstore. Mm-hmm. Uh, they require each other. Being in a rural setting like this, yeah. I feel as a retailer, you have to cast the widest net. Yeah. And so I, I cover both uh, the gamers, board gamers, role players, tabletop, skirmish, as well as their parents and their grandparents yeah. who have grown up reading what we call the dead tree experience, yeah. real books. Yeah. So I get everyone instead of just this small niche of, of customer base. And I think it has proven to be quite successful. It's super interesting. We, uh, yeah, I mean about, I guess we were, uh, what was it? Two, two years in, we added uh, pizza to, to the coffee shop mix and it was a very different, felt really different. We, we branded it separately pretty much so we could start a separate Facebook page pretty much so that we could we could post some edgier funnier stuff that maybe the cold the cold jack coffee customers that marketing wouldn't work quite as well but we kind of wanted that punk punk rock side of ourselves to come out which is a interesting continuation of the social media conversation but what we've kind of fallen into a nice little uh balancing both things and it's it's interesting and they uh, are two separate businesses yeah you're mixing starbucks and pizza hut mm-hmm. these are not businesses that would normally yeah coexist under the same roof yeah and i think i think you have a great idea because as a coffee shop that's a kind of a morning gig yeah pizzas are your lunch and dinner and so you you appeal to an all-day audience yeah. rather than Oh, I never think about going to Cole Jack's because why would they be open at six o'clock? Right, for a cup of coffee. Oh man, and and I was I worked last night and we had so many folks coming in getting. It's Friday night, so you get a lot of late night coffee and people who kind of want to sit up for four hours and watch Netflix. You know, they need to they need to stay awake for it after <laughs> a long day at work. So it's like it's shocking to me because and I remember saying that early on. We really just need. We need a product that's not super expensive to, to hold on to. So we're not making steaks that are going to go bad and we're going to be throwing away, you know, hundreds of dollars of meat every week. But we're going to have flour. We're going to have, you know, shredded cheese. Just don't let it get moldy. And that's pretty much how the, how the game goes. Um, so I like that. And it's that. also food. So you're already familiar with the right. supply chain and how that works. Right. Jake, I'm going to turn the tables on. Please you. do. Um, Let's do know. this. I, I believe we're about 30 minutes into our <laughs> oh, conversation. No. So I'm Did you have to... this planned? Is this a coup? I, I didn't, but... <laughs> Not now. <laughs> but you and I have spoken over the years about downtown and about small businesses. Mm. You are in such a beautiful position mm. physically 
where your sh your store is that I've always felt that downtown needed businesses that would draw people down simply to walk the square. It's it's got that oh yeah it, that whole feel of Andy Griffith. We've right. got a town square. Right. We've got a courthouse in the center. We've got these businesses that run around three sides of it. Right. And yet, and it ties back to this being available for your customers. That mm. a lot of boutique small businesses are only open nine to five, ten to five, and the evenings seem a missed opportunity, mm -hmm. especially for historic downtown farmers. Right, right. This town needs, I feel, more businesses other than restaurants. Twelve West. Um, 102 Tap House yeah. and yourself right. are the three businesses open downtown. All restaurants, right. all serving food. One of the reasons that I moved into the factory. We sell t-shirts too, but yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> one of the reasons I moved into the factory and felt it was a good good choice was that there were two restaurants upstairs, mm. both Casa Sol, best Mexican food oh, in town. Oh, gosh, best Mexican Mario's Italian, amazing Italian Really food. good Italian food. factory diner downstairs. And I was telling my wife, I said, this is going to work out well. Since we're going to be open till 9, people are going to walk out of those restaurants. Yeah. Oh, and they are going to need to walk around a little bit. Right. And for the last three years, we get a, a little mini rush between about 6.30 and 8.30 almost every night. No kidding. Because people come down the yeah. stairs. Yeah, I've been need, there for that. Yeah. And they just need to walk that off. Yeah. I feel like downtown Farmington is missing an opportunity beyond food service right? to, to yeah. give people an experience. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, I think that, I think you're opening up a humongous conversation. I think, uh, well, it's tough for me because well, I live right here. So I walk over to the factory. 90% of the time I go to the factory, I'm walking because it's two blocks. So to me, it feels the factory is downtown. It, it's funny. I was I was talking to Adam the other day, and I said something about downtown. He said, "Oh, you're you know downtown," and it's like, dude, the factory is is a cool little. I mean, I think of downtown St. Louis. I think of the old. Uh, I used to go to a skate park that was downtown St. Louis on Olive, and it that was downtown to me. It was a big skate park in an old abandoned building, and it obviously wasn't Wash Ave or or whatever. But um, so uh, the proximity is. Is there? I agree that the square is, uh, yeah, but it, it's it's uh, it's missing a lot, and I think it's that underutilized. It's underutilized. I think that is the bigger. It's sort of you were talking about, uh, uh, you know, the education system. We need to make sure that's that's well funded. Generally, that was before we got on air, but in that sort of uh, extrapolation of if if you know if young people are well educated they'll probably be interested in, in books as they as they get older so that's gonna that's gonna sort of help help you out in the long run um i i feel the same about entrepreneurship and i think that we have such a weak culture of entrepreneurship um people don't get it uh people don't know that you're supposed to get excited about the conversation that we're having about hey uh, you know, I, I saw this market and I said, well, if I add this market to this, I might have something that's a little different. In my mind, that is truly the the vitality of life. I, I'll, I'll sit and just, you know, draw diagrams of, of how I think it'd be fun to see businesses interact with one another. 
but but what I've found in Farmington um, is that uh, you know in the early days it was besides my sister I I couldn't connect to anybody's entrepreneurial thrust what was really driving what they were doing so so what I started well, to see stop you there for yeah a moment. please so are we talking about their passion for their personal business or are you feeling there was a disconnect between their business and their their interest I, I open a book and game store because I love books and games See, that's yeah. my passion it's, yeah uh, but I, I sometimes wonder having not asked uh, a number of the folks that open boutiques was that their passion or did they see it as a high margin high profit business without a without a driving passion to sell clothing behind it I see I think they I think that the passion is is sort of there uh, but what 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 I think we have in Farmington is um, I, I think typically it's a tr it's like a trophy thing it's like a, it's like a, a, a you know it's something to put my name on to and and to have uh, I'm, I'm gonna get really cynical maybe but uh, I don't mean to but but what I'm saying is you have this you have this Chamber of Commerce and I sat at a Chamber of Commerce meeting that was uh, that was being um, it was being sponsored by a local family who who runs some local businesses one of them sells milkshakes and I remember the speaker of the the Chamber of Commerce stands up and says we have, uh, you know, we, we have a new member here. It's the White Castle uh, general manager or, or something, some, some connection to White Castle. And, you know, and she says, and meanwhile, the, the event was, the lunch was being provided by a different restaurant, but, but this family that makes milkshakes uh, at, a, at another one of their restaurants. So I'm not, I don't know if you're following me still, but this lady says, and this sticks with me for whatever reason, she says, White Castle, oh, they have the best milkshakes in town. And I'm thinking, oh man, like you might have just offended, uh, probably not even close to an offense at all. But in my mind, I'm thinking of this weird confluence of the Chamber of Commerce is supposed to be this engine of uh, local entrepreneurial zest and spirit and energy. And what you really see is it's a it's kind of a bizarre handshaking game. And and I think that things like that, you know, maybe in years past created that conversation where you can say, hey, like doesn't our downtown feel like it's missing something? Like, doesn't it? And I don't know that there, there is currently the forum to, to get into some of that stuff. I was going to say, I, th I think you've, you've sort of cannonballed into six different subjects. Yes, I typically Part of the Chamber <laughs> of Commerce is going to be, perhaps they should be more neutral and welcoming of all businesses. I can see where you, you feel maybe that's... Are you guys in the Chamber the of Commerce? No. No. Um, small downtown I'm honestly business. at this moment I'm not sure that if we are aren't we probably are but yeah. I'm not positive but go ahead yeah. and I don't think that small downtown associations um, get to pick and choose I mean if, if I had my druthers and I owned all the property downtown mm. there would be maybe one or two boutiques rather than nine there'd be <laughs> maybe an ice cream shop, there'd mm. be a jewelry store, there'd be a, a mixture. Mm -hmm. I don't know if, again, growing up in the 80s and 90s, if you remember going to the malls, indoor yeah. malls, it was clothing store, clothing store, clothing store, jewelry store, clothing store, clothing yeah. store, jewelry store, clothing store. There was no, 
there was no mix and match. Yeah, yeah. And so you were always surprised when there was a music shop right. or a bookstore or yeah. something that didn't fit into the cookie cutter right. you know, pattern of an indoor mall. I think downtown America has fallen into that pattern as well. I am more, it's wonderful to have plumber's hardware here, mm. to have a locally owned yeah. family hardware store. Right. I know that sounds odd, but I think, I think rural America needs that. No, for sure. They need Coljacks. They yeah. need a locally owned coffee shop yeah. that's not corporately determined. Right. Yes, precisely. 2,000 miles away. Now you're, now you're, and you're not, because you're not corporately Excuse me. Because you're not corporately determined, you're not sh- you're not extracting money, hard-earned money from the local community, and, and sending, sending it, it out and sending it to some executive salary, some regional manager salary. Everybody else on that chain gets a cut of of the dollar that you spend at that shop, um, as opposed to it going to uh, Dylan Plummer who comes here every morning and and buys a a, a sandwich right, or, and, or, or vents over at Aesop's who comes in to get yeah, his coffee every yeah yeah precisely and just that and and there's something about that and in sort of my I don't know if it's my every generation has voices that raise the sustainability questions and I just don't think that that's been applied to these small towns to really say hey let's Let's think about growing a different way. I, I, Saint Saint Genevieve is is kind of popularly referred to as the place that kept Walmart out of Saint Gen, and and they attribute their success as a city to that. I'm not. I'm not. I, the, the jury is still. Who wants to build a Walmart in a floodplain? Yeah. Right. <laughs> So I, I don't know whether the city fathers. That's a good soundbite from. Uh, <laughs> is that uh, cynicism? I'm sorry. Well, I, I will say this: I, I totally agree with you. I have gone to city meetings and argued uh, for variety for business variety, and this is what I say: I say, look, we are the only micro transactional uh, place downtown besides the liquor store, um, so. We are giving we are giving uh, the actual homeless you know homeless guy or 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 whoever an opportunity to come in and spend a buck I think our short coffee is a buck seventy five and have an experience in a downtown building you know with a with a cool old ceiling and the whole feel and and and, and they're getting in and out for less than two dollars and it's like w- w- microtransactional businesses are not. The I'm not saying they're the best type of business, the only type of business, but they are a different type of business sure. from we, what you see elsewhere on the square. We two dollars, right? So, uh, yeah, I I don't I don't put a limit on socioeconomics. I've got a a book cart out front of free books. Yeah. So anyone can come and at least experience a bookstore, right? Experience a coffee shop. Uh, I, I don't I don't I think, think that's unique. a driving. Yes, I agree. Yeah, we have we have sort of unique value propositions yeah. is what that's called. Um, clothing stores, jewelry stores, a certain other boutique type markets, right. by their very nature, limit who is coming in with a wallet ready to spend. Yeah. Um, if you don't have money, and again, retail by its nature, you, ex- well, maybe not in a restaurant industry, but in retail, I expect people to come in and not buy. Mm, yeah. They're there to while away a few minutes, to mm. window shop, perhaps come back later mm-hmm, and purchase. Mm-hmm. You don't walk into a coffee shop 
and study the menu for ten well, minutes, and then walk, and then walk out, and maybe come back tomorrow. For Hilariously, a we had we still have no seats in the coffee shop. And yesterday, there was there was five people walk over from the courthouse, stand at a table, pull their laptops out, do some work, stand there for forty five minutes, and then put their laptops up and walk out. And it's like, man, like that used to happen when we had seats in here, but it's pretty unusual now for somebody to do that. But whatever, that sort of hits on that other thing though, and 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 I am sort of. I, I am sort of a, a in a way, uh, so I the arguments I've had were, hey, we're a microtransactional business. We benefit from uh, the churn of traffic downtown. But what happens is our entire street gets filled up by folks who work across the street at the courthouse, even though there's a massive annex parking lot. Um, but nobody wants to walk less than a block to get to their office job because we're in Farmington. The, you know, we're all... We're all Americans who demand convenience. And so if there's no sign saying, I cannot park here for eight hours a day, I'm probably going to park there for eight hours a day. And so I've gone and I've till blue in the face for three years. Please, some sort of sign. Two-hour parking would be fine. I'd really prefer maybe a 15-minute spot out front so we can really churn some folks through. But, but no, and it's just constantly shut down, constantly shut down. And I really think that sort of what you're saying is, how do you make it? I mean, I know the coffee shop before us and the two other shops before us had the exact same grievances, but I don't think they had the brand momentum uh, to to really power through some of the uh, some of the challenges that uh, are there. I, and, and certainly their lives were going all, all different places and stuff, but you, uh, you do start running into these, these, these towns sometimes really don't, they don't care to fight for that culture of entrepreneurial, of small business entrepreneurial, because, because to them, that's not, that's not the big fish. The big fish is what's going on in the industrial park. The big fish is what's going on uh, across the, the overpass right there where uh, there was rumors by Hobby Lobby where the rumors were going to get a Sam's, the rumors were going to get a Target, blah, blah, blah. So those are the big fish to fry for them. They really don't want to be down in the nitty gritty of you know boutique owner fighting a coffee shop owner for a spot out front they just they don't want to be part of that um but to not do anything is to make a choice and that's that's sort of where i'm where i'm sure. starting to get you end up looking more like and no offense to any of you who live in that area um i know when i pass through arnold arnold is just sam's club it's yeah. it's, it's big box store chain yeah strip malls right. on all four sides. And, and when all of those companies go digital, wonder, when all of those companies stuff. cut out all of the expenses of, of having massive locations, do you know what they're going to do? They're going to abandon these buildings that were subsidized by taxpayer money and they're going to leave them there to rot like half of America is rotting right now, like the massive... Uh, indoor ten, malls. Ten <laughs> no, I mean for there. real though. Like you, you have the malls are empty, and and yeah. they were taxpayer time, subsidized malls. Much like Sears and Roebuck, their time has come and gone. You, I don't. But what do you do with these massive? Like the building that I'm in right now, you can flip and use for fifty different types of buildings. Like these are not built to be versatile. I think we've entered a different conversation. We can have another time if you want. <laughs> Uh, I think you and I see it in two different directions. Yeah. I, I don't see it as the rot of America, but the evolution towards something else. Um, it's just a lot of resources sure. that were dumped into that. But sure. it, I'm I'm totally open to to how yeah. to. I think I think that would be another conversation yeah. about 
corporate America and, and retail in that respect. But right here, you brought bringing, up Arnold. Bringing, bringing our focus <laughs> bringing it back, home. back to Farmington. Back to here Farmington. we are. Um, I think people need that that personal touch. Now, I don't, I don't begrudge big box. I don't begrudge Walmart. They hire hundreds of people. Yeah, for Those sure. Those people come in and buy coffee from you. Yeah, absolutely. So they have a part in our ecosystem. But we don't have an ecosystem without a downtown, without small business owners like yourself and myself and everyone else on this square. Without it, we lose our identity as being unique to Farmington. Yes. People come to, to my shop from over 100 miles away, and they come to Farmington specifically to shop with me. That's a unique, by its very definition, unique value proposition. There's going to be a Starbucks opening up here at Absolutely. some point in 2021. Right. But guess where I'm going to be going for my coffee? Yeah. I'm going to be coming to Coljack's because Coljack's is run by Jake and his sister. They're people I know. They're people I love. And I want to support them because if they go away and Starbucks is the only name in town, I could go anywhere for Starbucks. Yeah. And Farmington loses something unique about it so and that's how i feel about small business so, in general. all right well i'm not totally leaving the conversation you said we should leave but let me just ask you this <laughs> let me just ask you this sure. what it's the uh it's this sort of picture of of the uh cashierless checkout process that and, and this idea that and this is sort of this is what gets gets tossed around a lot um in in my circles and it's this idea that the big box is a little more uh what is it like that malicious we become, we become the cogs in our own machine and that they don't have to pay people to work there anymore yes you're always going to need a human being somewhere along the line i worked for centene for 10 years mm. all right a fast-growing Some, company well, in and, missouri and something to think about they employ hundreds of people here in the Farmington area. Do you know what their job is? It boiled down to its most basic tenet. All of those hundreds of people that work for Centene here in Farmington, their job is to fix the errors the computers can't fix. Centene has spent 20 plus years refining their computer systems to catch as many errors as possible. And yet they are always hiring over at Centene and they will always be hiring at Centene because systems will never match the human brain. It still requires a set of eyes and judgment and things that we can't teach a computer to do yet. I'm, I'm going to keep my tinfoil hat under wraps. I can't <laughs> teach a computer to do it yet because, yeah. because 100 years from now they're going to look back on this this recording and go... Yeah, because Moore's Law is going to keep on but trucking. That's that's down right. future right now today. You have to have human beings. Somebody has to put the freight on the shelves. Somebody has to do a price check. That's the one that have a label on. That's it. always. I think there's human still beings. just humans putting it on the shelf because it'd be too scary to walk down the aisle and see a robot do it. But when they can train have a robot to do it, well, <laughs> and have you seen the Walmart uh, cleaning machines that will sense your presence and stop? No, I've not seen go, that. Oh yeah. Automation. I can't wait till one of those things malfunctions yeah. and runs an old lady over. <laughs> Stephen King novel, here we go. <laughs> All I'm saying is there will always be a human element. Uh, you just can't leave a, a 
a retail shop unmanned by people. I don't I don't It's tough. Don't it's tough because these are publicly traded it. companies that have a a in their only incentive, their incentive of course is, is not to pay anyone. They is not to pay anyone. Not pay anyone but but they're going but to they've promised these small towns. They promised the fathers of these small towns that they would provide hundreds oh of God, jobs when they were getting their their taxpayer subsidized whatever it was when we were building sure. massive parking lots and infrastructure and paying all of our police officers to basically spend their entire job as Walmart security on folks on Christmas Day on Christmas Day Black Friday. Yeah, yeah. So no, sure. I'm I'm hopeful too. I, but and and again, I think you're you're going back to the rot air quotes here of America. <laughs> I don't think it's rot necessarily. It's, I'm te- it's, I'm optimistic about technology. I think it's just an evolution. And for those of us who who live through evolution, and that's all of us, it always seems a little frightening. It always seems a little sinister. The the changes that occur during our lifetimes. How old are you? Thirty-two. Okay, so I'm exactly 20 years older than you. When's your right? birthday? 1968. I mean, what, what what month is it? How close? I'll give you a hint. My birthday is a national holiday in Australia. It's, it's Anzac Day, so you can look that up. <laughs> All right, well. So there's a 20-year difference. Yeah. I can remember my mother coming home with a personal computer, the Tandy Radio Shack 80, All right, with a 16K... Hard drive, Dang. which was a cassette deck. It was a cassette deck. <laughs> you heard, hear monochrome, whirring in there? <laughs> yeah, monochrome screen, $800 mm. for something that your digital watch would yeah. run circles around. Your yeah. digital watch would run the space shuttle from 1976. Yeah. Let's put it that way. Yeah, yeah. So I understand that that fear, that, that leeriness of. Yeah. Technology's taken over. It's the Terminator. It's Skynet. There's that sense of, I'm of inevitability that yeah. we're being replaced by technology. I think you have to keep an open mind and, and even if you're not going to embrace it, accept the fact that this is inevitable, that things are going to change. Mm. I lived next to Kennedy Space Center for 20 years and watched the shuttle go up for 20 years straight. And I can't describe to you the feeling of knowing that I was living. That's wild. In the future, yeah. I was living yeah. 15 minutes away from a spaceport. Yeah. Insane. And there's, I can't fear that. I yeah. want that. That's the dream. Yeah. That that we're going to be going back to the moon. That we're going to go to Mars. Yeah. That requires automation. That requires technology. Oh, for sure. I, I. But does it require? Uh, uh, I mean, yeah. Does it require a big box store in every single community? Uh, I that whatever. I mean, I don't know a warehouse of some sort. Like, I, I don't think, know that those are necessarily the same things. They are. If you think about, we've come to a point now where we talk about having a global economy. Uh, I realize that there are people out there who. You know, America first and buy American. Right. And, and emotionally, I agree with that. Right, right, I'm right. an American, so yes, I want you to buy products that I know were made by American robots right. instead of Chinese robots. So, right. <laughs> but if the, this trade war with China hasn't proven something to you, that we're all interconnected. We can't right. just cut off one portion of the world and think that the rest of the economy is going to to flow merrily along. For sure. Without some. Hiccups. I don't love the idea. But 
But space travel and big yes. box stores are just as interconnected right. because the technology we use to create that that ability to get into right. space is being used in a to put retail products on shelves. Yeah, it's, yeah. My concern would be more the military applications of of technology. You know, space yeah, sp- space exploration and retail and all that. There are things that we get that are good. You just have to accept the fact that big box stores are coming with going to Mars. I'm sure we're going to end up with a Walmart or its, you know, its equivalent in space at some point. It's just going. Oh, happen. that's fascinating. I've never I thought. Mean, you didn't think about. <laughs> that's what, interesting. You know, we used to call ourselves Walmartians, so I won't be surprised. <laughs> will not be surprised if one of the largest, you know, first retail operations will, in some manner, right be tied to Walmart no, and going to space. So, okay. So I'll give a little bit of a, I'll, I'll back down a little bit and I'll say that uh, Walmart provides a platform. Uh, at Walmart's a great place to run and get, I have a, I have a tax exemption card at Walmart. So it's a great place to run and get lettuce. I, I know they're probably going to have it. I will say that I tried to go the day before on uh, New Year's Eve and to, to get precisely lettuce and uh, the line was insane. Absolutely insane. Well, they have a tire loop express. I mean... <laughs> yeah, yeah. In and out. Yeah, that's Give a good idea. my trade secret. That is a good secret, man. <laughs> the, the garden center, check me out. Um, but no, I, I, I'm optimistic about technology, but if I would maybe be a little less militant and hostile about the conversation if there was more openness in small communities towards, uh, well, guys like me and you. I mean, obviously I want my city to love me more, but I, I do think that, uh, I think that the guys who are homegrown and, and trying to put something different out there should be uh, maybe uh, a closer part of, of like, like you said, we're, we're the identity of these small towns um, to right. a huge extent. Because otherwise we're all eating the same stuff and and uh, going to the same stores, wearing the same clothes. We don't really want that, do we? No, I, th- I think we still need that uniqueness. We need something that separates us from everyone else. A little identity, whether yeah. it's cultural or, you know, I don't know what to call that, residential identity. Mm. Yeah. Isn't that why we have Local. school colors? Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's like the St. Louis question, what high school did you go to, yeah. that type of thing. But St. Louis is weird, too. It's it's very flat and anymore, just uh, culturally. There's some really cool neighborhoods. It'll be interesting. I think that the pandemic is going to create a moment for all of these different little spots to reframe their identities because there's going to be so much churn, so much, so many, so many book and game shops that are not coming back. Are you seeing that in your industry, or did, did those hang on? That's, that's kind of a hard to say. I've actually had some game distributors tell me that this has been a boom and that people are opening them left and right. I that's insane to me. I, that's I, wild. To yeah, imagine. I personally haven't seen that, mm. and I think it depends on where you're located. California has been under lockdown since March, uh, and I I attend Gamma, which is the Game Manufacturers Association. It's a conglomerate of independent store owners. Mm. And, and that's so the I one keep, in Vegas, typically. Yeah, yeah, they were having that one in Reno last year. Um, this year, it's virtual. But it gives you a chance to peer-to-peer. You get to meet other people who are in the same boat as you, mm. in the same business as you, which is great. Mm. You just learn so much from each other. 
And so I kind and of with keep, social media, you can keep up with a lot exactly. Of folks, yeah. So I can keep tabs on them and see how they're doing. And I'm telling you, the store owners in California are having a rough time. Whew. So no, they're not opening game stores in California mm-hmm. right now, left and right. They're just trying to stay open. So, but then, you know, here in the Midwest, it's a different political climate. Mm-hmm. Things never really shut down. We didn't close kind of, one day. Uh, well, we were closed for 28 days, yeah. but but all I'm saying is we weren't closed for 128 right, days. Right, right, right. So I could see there being an opportunity to open a book and game store in Missouri mm-hmm. as opposed to California. Mm-hmm. So. All right, we uh, took a bathroom break, and we heated the room up, and then we proceeded to talk till the room got cold again. So we might come back. I think that's I think that was contributing to a little bit of my tension uh, regarding some of the big box. I'm not as mad at big box when I'm warm, but when I'm cold, I feel the coldness of America rotting right before our eyes. Well, you know, we we had a long discussion before we picked back up, and I think we need to talk more about the idea of a potential weekly podcast. Collaborative. Collaborative about counterintelligence. I love the name. And we will discuss... What's the hook for the name? Tell them. Oh, well, you know, we both work behind the counter, and yeah. we've got some intelligence to share. It's counterintelligence. It's really interesting because it's a good spectrum. We get, yeah, it, we're in very different industries, but there is so much. We could, we just sat and talked for 40 minutes off the record about similarities that are a little bit, we'd, we'd have to get better at, because uh, I'm still sort of new to, to editing myself a little bit and understanding what I'm willing to share and not willing to share, particularly regarding business, but that's... This is all kind of a big experiment and and how to talk about some of those things and and to give people an idea of what I call a peek behind the curtain. Mm, yeah. um, we're not going to talk dollars. We're not going to talk um, sp- specific things that uh, don't need to be spoken of. Mm. But there's a lot about what we do in both retail and restaurant industries that I think if our customers who have no experience in those aspects of business um, would find fascinating. Oh, for sure. I think they would have a a renewed uh, vision of what we do when they come in to see us. Well, it's like you say, I mean, uh, I've had people come in here and say, oh my gosh, this is, I would, my wife and I have always talked about when we retire, we want to start a coffee shop. And I'm like, man, you could ask, you could ask the folks who had a coffee shop in here before us how that went for them. And no, you don't. But but similar, similarly with game stores and bookshops, oh my gosh, I've always thought about starting one of those. So I always thought about it. And I, what's tough for me is I, that's precisely the energy that I think should be channeled towards cultivating these communities of, of small, small town, small business entrepreneurs. It's that exact sentiment that I don't think has anywhere to go because it's all so mysterious, it's all so out there. Um, And I think that would be the thrust of our continued talks, is so many people would love to own their own little cafe. Mm -hmm. So many people would love to own their own little bookstore. Corner bookstore. I I think that some real life understanding of what goes on when they walk out of the store, Mm -hmm. when they're not there, uh, if they're still passionate about it, Perhaps our talks would help direct them. And scare uh, the hell out of it. <laughs> one way or the other. <laughs> yeah, right. Either, either reinforce their enthusiasm, right. which usually will mean they'll be successful, right. or bring the shining light of reality to what we do. For sure. And perhaps uh, 
decide not to quit their day job. Right. Right. So stay tuned for uh, for for when we can get into the flow of something like that, because I think the conversations are unlimited. We've ranged far and wide. And mm. if we do counterintelligence, I think we need to be a little more um, laser focused yeah. on the subject matter that we decide to discuss, because I get the feeling you and I could talk for hours. Uh, about anything we already do we do, <laughs> we do. So, almost for, every morning thank you vince everybody. uh everybody needs to stop into aesops if they haven't already after and, they've uh, had a cup of coffee over cold yes. yeah walk on over yeah. well it'll be getting nice soon so hopefully the downtown walking will get good that would be nice thank you vince yeah, appreciate it appreciate you